Hey everybody, it's Will. We're back with another edition of Creators Outlet here on the podcast. We'd like to welcome our special guest, uh, David Pepos, with yet again another big project. Uh, before we get into it, we want to give a big shout out to our sponsor for this video, SpinWiz Comics at SpinWizComics.com. They are available both on iOS and Android. You can download the app. It is a free destination for both web and indie comics. You can check out a whole bunch of free comics. And and what's better than free comics, especially if uh, you're on the West Coast and locked down and you've read all your books and, and you're waiting for the first release of 2021 from David, you, you can have something else to read for absolutely free. Go download the app today and here's what it'll look like on your smart device. And now on with the program. Uh, since we've talked last, uh, Creators Outlet is also available on Age of Radio. I got picked up in uh, from episode 40 up on through are all available for download. So this episode will be available for download uh, later on tonight. So you can go to ageofradio.org click on shows and you will see my silly <laughs> icon and uh, you can just click on that and there there are a whole bunch of shows there I think uh, various podcasts of mine have been downloaded uh, over 164 times and, and I just started uploading uh, the middle of last month so it's going pretty well. So if you're watching over there, if watching, if you're listening to this on the link from Age of Radio and you downloaded the audio version of the podcast, you can head over to Joker Fan Pop Culture Talk on YouTube and see the video. Just saying. So David, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm excited to, to to catch up and chat with you about a, a new series I've got coming out this January. Yes, the the first series of 2021, the very first new comic book day. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm teaming up with uh, Aftershock Comics on a new series called Scout's Honor, uh, which is the story of um, after a nuclear war, a cult rises from the ashes and their Bible is an old boy scout manual. <laughs> so um, our series follows Kit who is kind of really, uh, really the embodiment of all good things about the Ranger Scouts of America. There's only one hitch. Um, the Ranger Scouts are very male driven. Um, that's part of their seven scout commandments. And so Kit has had to hide her identity as a woman in order to pursue her calling as a ranger scout. And when Kit discovers a really kind of disturbing secret at the heart of the ranger scout doctrine, she's going to kind of lose her religion a bit. And she's going to have to risk everything she's ever known and loved on this dangerous quest for the truth. So I've kind of described this book as uh, Mad Max meets Mulan 
uh, with a little bit of Handmaid's Tale and a little bit of Hunger Games thrown in for good measure. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, uh, when it's the end of the world, uh, you have to be prepared for anything. And uh, Kit is going to have to really take that lesson uh, to, to its extreme. Well, that, that sounds uh, a bit real for the times we're living in. <laughs> for sure. Um, you know, it's funny. I When I was writing a post-apocalyptic book, or at least when I pitched it initially um, a little over uh, a year ago, I don't think I was expecting for it to be like a documentary. Um, you know, I, I this was my pandemic book in a lot of ways. Um, I... I'd been knocking on the doors over at Aftershock for a long time um, since, since my first book came out, uh, Spencer and Locke. And, um, you know, I had been pitching them a lot of different uh, concepts and a lot of different series. I pitched them uh, going to the chapel. I pitched them the OZ. I pitched them uh, Grand Theft Astro. And, um, you know, as time would go on, I would keep connecting with the same Aftershock people at different conventions. Uh, I've known Mike Martz uh, since I was in college. I interned for him at DC Comics. Uh, we worked on Batman R.I.P. together. Um, I've known Steve Rotterdam, uh, also from my time at DC. Uh, Lee Kramer uh, lives in the same city as me. We've had lunch before. And what happened was I... Lee, uh, Lee's big mistake was telling me pitch us as many things as you want. <laughs> so I sent him like a dozen log lines and scouts honor. was kind of, that was the idea that I had just come up with. It was the latest idea. The idea of history being kind of like a game of telephone. Um, it's not just written by the victors. It's written by the survivors in this case. And what happens when that game of telephone gets just totally cut off. You're in a brand new dark ages. And the only real tie you have to the past is happens to be in this case a boy scout manual um by the time that the book the book was approved and greenlit around christmas of last year um but we didn't really sign the paperwork until about two weeks before everything shut down and so writing um 80 of this book uh during a pandemic during the lockdown um at first it was kind of sobering you know, you, you think as a writer, what's the kind of energy you want to put out into the world? Um, I'm, no, I'm no Grant Morrison, but, you know, there is a little bit of magical thinking that goes into it where you think, you know, if I write this sort of end of the world scenario, is that the sort of thing that I'm putting out into the world? Um, but as I got into it, I realized that it was a story about hope uh, at, the end of, at the end of the day. It's not about being lost it's about being found. It's about finding yourself and figuring out what your own direction is going to be. Um, Scout's Honor is definitely the most spiritual book I've ever written. And I think it speaks to my upbringing in a lot of ways. Um, I grew up in, um, I grew up in a very conservative, both religious and, and, and politically Jewish household in the Midwest uh, growing up. And my sort of, the direction that I, I found myself in when I left home, I realized like, Oh, there's two ways of looking at the whole world. And when you kind of go out on your own and you realize like, Oh, all the things that I thought were so bedrock, maybe they're not quite as bedrock as I thought. Maybe there's a different way of approaching things and meeting different people with different uh, backgrounds and different viewpoints. Um, I consider that to be a real reawakening for me. And, 
a lot of that journey has been channeled into Kit's trajectory in this book. Um, I'm, I'm still a practicing Jew. Um, I don't really talk about it a whole lot, um, you know, uh, uh, as far as my career goes. But for me, I consider it my way of throwing a penny into the well of the universe, so to speak. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who died to do stuff that I kind of take for granted. So for example, me not eating like pork or shellfish, you know, that's just a small thing that I can do. Um, but my spiritual path is very different than that of my parents and is very different than that of their parents. I think that's, um, I don't think that's even necessarily limited to the Jewish experience, but, uh, I think you have to find your own meaning. And that's something that Kit really has to find out. Um, another thing that really kind of inspired uh, this story is um, my my partner. Uh, she was raised Catholic, and she had a real kind of sense of disillusionment with the Catholic Church uh, after everything came out about the uh, the sex abuse scandals. And she kind of really thought to herself, like, how can I stay a part of an organization that has this kind of corruption hidden underneath it? And I think that's a lot of what Kit goes through in this series as she says you know i was raised a true believer she believes in everything that the ranger scouts have to offer in terms of self-sufficiency and survival in this kind of bleak post-apocalyptic world and how does she sort of navigate these values that she holds that are so important to her while navigating kind of the human element the human institution that might not always have uh, the 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 ideas of truth and justice at its heart, um, but there's you know it's also a post apocalyptic book about a Boy Scout cult, so there's plenty of action and Scouts Honor as well. Um, you know the the thing that I like so much about this series is like we said you know this game of telephone, and so um, you know for example the merit badges um, that's a really big important thing in the Ranger Scout society because you know what skills the person next to you has just by looking at them. And so you have kind of the staples like archery and wilderness survival, but you've also got things like tactical driving and explosives. Um, it's very much baked into their religion um, or the idea of um, a, a big rite of passage in the society is you're given what's called your first switchblade. And the problem is, is that the game of telephone has been so distorted over the generations that the ranger scouts say, well, you know, back in the olden times, uh, these ranger scouts, the first ranger scouts got these giant swords that had these like uh, different types of blades embedded into the sword, you know, one for shearing, another one like a can opener to break open armor. Um, some of them even have lighters on them. And so that's what they've built for themselves in the apocalypse is these giant swords that happen to have different blades hidden inside of them. Um yeah, I mean, you know, it's just, um, I think I find myself, I gravitate towards concepts that have a lot of inherent imagery to them. Um, whether you look at Spencer and Locke, which deals with uh, uh, the, the funny pages, or going to the chapel that dealt with weddings, uh, the OZ that dealt with the Wizard of Oz. Um, Scout's Honor is a really fun way to explore all those tropes and imagery from classic Boy Scouts and sort of really take them to their maybe illogical extreme. Uh, you know, put them really kind of in the thick of things, sort of the irradiated horrors of the Colorado Badlands, and see what might sprout out of that. 
I don't remember having a chance to get an exclusive badge when I was in Scouts. <laughs> Man, that would have been awesome. <laughs> you know, it's 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 a it's like a mutation of the old you know bottle rockets. Um, for me, you know, I never served as a Boy Scout, but my younger brothers did, and I think that was kind of the kernel that got this book going. Is um, and the inside for them, you know, it's all about self sufficiency and learning practical skills and the camaraderie with all your friends. On the outside, you see the costumes and the pageantry and the bylaws, and it can start to look a little culty. And um, that kind of built up this Ranger Scout religion. Um, for example, the actual Boy Scouts, the real life Boy Scouts, have um, scout laws. Um, it's sort of these these pillars that sort of build up the ethics of the scout society. And so we mutated some of those into the seven scout laws um, of the Ranger Scouts. And some of the real life laws, things like you shall obey your scout master without question. It doesn't take a huge leap in logic to see how that might get twisted. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, but at the same time, it's also built just like, you know, just if you look at the Ten Commandments, there's still sort of that code of ethics baked into it. Uh, a law like um, a scout's honor must never be in question or always be prepared. On the face of it, those are very positive things. And we see sort of the bright side of that with Kit. But on the other hand, you know, always be prepared when you're living in the apocalypse. That means she's kind of raised in this society. It's very cutthroat and ready to kind of throw you into the deep end with no warning because they say, you know, you need to be warned. You need to be prepared. And if you can't be prepared for this, you have no chance of surviving the outside world. And so it's very, you know, it's um, very push and pull. Um, there is sort of that element. Like I said, it's of, of a cult where it's sort of a uh, very positive reinforcement, uh, countered with you know this very like life or death um uh you know a, a, a bit of violence and that's sort of the world that she's grown up believing in and understanding and now after she kind of learns that the, this cult might not be on the up and up she's going to have to kind of figure out what what stays and what goes so right now i'm envisioning a scout with a scout's backpack, uh, Batman's <laughs> utility belt, uh, and uh, I don't know, like Conan's sword with with a bottle opener attachment slung over <laughs> her back, and uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> like always it, be prepared to get thrown into the deep end. So there's going to be a rope and a grappling hook somewhere in this pack. Yes, um, yeah, you know, Kit. Kit really favors the bone arrow. Um, uh, that's sort of her weapon of choice. I really thought that that was, you know, this is all about self-sufficiency. And so for her, I like the idea of she likes the finesse of it all. And she likes to be able to sort of take down an enemy or take down prey, you know, with the strength of her own two hands. Um, but a lot of this book, it deals with different scouts deal with things in different ways. And so Kit's relationship with her best friend, Des, who happens to be the Scoutmaster's son, is a, a, a through line that really kind of weaves in and out of the story. Um, Des has secrets of his own. I mean, I, I think if Scout's Honor is about anything in particular, it's about secrets. 
and how they can be really corrosive, but it can also be just as painful to kind of rip the veil off and, and see the truth. Um, so Des has secrets of his own, but he, he's kind of like the Loki to Kit's Thor. He doesn't know Kit's secret, but as we, as we progress in the series, we, we find he's, he's getting a little tired of being runner up and he's tired of being second best. And so what starts off as this, uh, you know, very tight friendship kind of devolves into an increasingly bitter rivalry. Um, he doesn't know what Kit has discovered and he doesn't even know that Kit is a woman. Um, and Kit in certain ways has to kind of hold, hold things back from her best friend and that sort of uh, spirals accordingly. But Des, you know, he's the kind of guy, you know, if Kit is all about the bows and arrows, he's about the flashier side of things. He, he's about, you know, he, he, uh, he's big on marksmanship. He's big on tactical driving. Um, you know, that's sort of his little rebellion against his very stern scoutmaster father. Um, but yet he never seems to measure up. Um, his father is a harsh guy and I think he expects only the best from his son. And so when he keeps seeing only the best in kit, that's something that really kind of turns the screws for Des. Um, and, you know, we, we see other scouts like, um, like the scoutmaster, um, scoutmaster Shepard, who he's kind of the, 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 the religious and political leader of this cult. And, he's absolutely a true believer. Um, you know, he, he believes that he has to be harsh. He has to do it to kind of keep as many of his people alive as possible. Um, it's been generations since the bombs fell, but this is still very much kind of a scarred wasteland. And there are a lot of things that can kill you, uh, whether it's, uh, the environment whether it's the monsters that are dwelling within the Badlands um, or a gang of raiders that are known as the highwaymen um, who have been sort of uh, methodically kind of picking off caravans and small towns all across the wasteland. And so Shepard is, uh, you know, it was interesting writing a cult leader for this book where he's, he's, he's a hard guy, but he's very, he's charismatic in his way. And he's sort of, he's got kind of a little bit of the fire and brimstone to him, but it's all in the service of this greater ideal. Um, the scouts have viewed the original founder of the Ranger scouts it, and sort of have turned him into this messianic uh, prophet figure, Dr. Jefferson Hancock. He was the man who it created the Ranger scouts before the bombs fell. And so they've got statues of him all over the place. They've sort of taken his tenets and, and turned them into the seven scout laws. And Shepard kind of sees himself as the latest channel for Dr. Hancock's wisdom. And so he's, he's kind of the guy who says, you know, what would Dr. Hancock want out of this? And I don't, I like you know like I said I'm a practicing Jew. I don't say this to denigrate my religion. But I find that Judaism has it's a very literary religion. You know, there's a lot of room for interpretation for a lot of different things. And I mean, you can, you know, there's there's no, no it's a whole religion built on rabbis arguing with each other. So there's no two ways of interpreting anything. 
and I think that's what I've enjoyed about exploring the scout religion and especially through Shepard is finding different angles of meaning in the scout religion. Um, uh, our first issue actually has back matter explaining some of the different merit badges, uh, which I believe are actually going to be available at local comic shops for fans to pick up. Um, but things like, for example, the explosives merit badge, um, that's a cool beat in the actual story, but in the back matter, we get to explore, oh, well, the scouts have, see explosives as almost a religious event because that's the difference between the old world and the new world is the bombs fell. And so explosives are things to be respected. Um, they're things to be mastered. And, you know, sometimes you need an explosive to, to get things done. But if you don't pay the proper respect, you know, sort of this Old Testament judgment can come and blow up right in your face. And so that's been a really cool way to kind of build up this world a little bit um, and sort of see, oh, there's a lot of different angles to kind of the Boy Scout pageantry that when you throw them into the sort of post-apocalyptic hellscape, you realize like, oh, things can get twisted in a really kind of profound and maybe even a little bit of a messed up way. And it just takes, you know, one kind of bad moment for Kit to realize like, oh, this thing that I've been raised with, this thing that I've uh, put so much value and importance on over the years, um, it's all wrong. And, you know, most of my characters for people who've read my books in the past, they're all about people who've been marinating in trauma for a long time. And then they kind of get called up to the plate and they have to do or die kit. We get to watch her experience her trauma in real time. And she's got to really kind of think on her feet and figure out, you know, what's the truth here and then figure out on the fly, where does she go next from here? Well, so a couple of things came to mind. Sure. When you, when you mentioned, uh, everything you said about explosives. Yeah. The, the imagery that went through my mind was the end of the second uh, Planet of the Apes movie. Sure. They were all worshiping the, the nuclear bomb and, yeah. you know, in the shelter uh, until they blew it up and somehow yep. still had three more movies afterwards <laughs> and a cartoon series and uh, comic books to this day. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's all good. I, I love the Planet of the Apes, but, you know, and I think I, without even reading it, I've already grown an attachment to Kit because, yet again, my, my weapon of choice is, you know, various bows and, yeah. and arrows uh, when I used, you know, when I used to go hunting and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just in general, because it's like, well, if some, if we're in, I don't know, post-apocalyptic, oh, I don't know, 2020, and, uh, <laughs> you know, you shoot a gun and, you know, somebody's coming at you and you shoot a gun and you miss, uh, yep. you're, you're going to draw all the other zombies to your direction. Right. Where it in in a case of, you know, various bows and arrows, uh, it's more of a stealthy weapon. Yes, that's exactly. Like, I think Kit 
instinctively, you know, um, and, and, and my, my artist and, and partner on this book, Lu- Luca Casalinguida, um, I, I had said to Luca, you know, I really want to kind of portray Kit, uh, you know, pretty androgynously, you know, because Kit kind of has to pass in the society. Um, but, you know, she's obviously not going to grow up to be like a bulky kind of ripped guy. Um, she's going to be a bit more wiry. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little, a little bit of like a Kristen Stewart thing kind of going on. Um, so I think, you know, I, I felt like she was always going to, she was going to try to be more surgical with it all. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, scouts are all pretty tough. Um, you know, like they're, they're thrown into the thick of things enough that they're kind of seen as like, they're the most dangerous thing in the wasteland, um, in a lot of ways. Um, but uh yeah i i feel like it's funny because this script has evolved or maybe mutated a lot over the development uh period when i first pitched this to aftershock um the idea of kit being a woman i didn't even actually pitch that to them at first um it just kind of hit me as i was coming up with the outline um some of it was just to kind of diversify the cast a little bit um I feel like I I tend to gravitate towards uh, female leads in in my action stories. You know, going back to Ripley or Sarah Connor, and you see it in a lot of my work um, with going to the chapel and the OZ and and some other things that I have in, in the pipeline. Um, but I think also some of it was this idea of secrets. You know, um, the Ranger Scouts as a cult have a secret, and it's been kind of lost to history. And Kit is going to accidentally find it. Uh, in our first issue but the idea of sort of you know well what's another secret that our main character could be kind of holding on to and could be kind of you know eating away at them from the inside and i realized i could kind of solve one problem with the other you know it's being like well you know this doesn't have to be a book just about boys this could be we could have the lead be a woman and that's sort of the thing she's hiding um is that she has to kind of conceal a big part of herself in order to pursue what she considers her true calling. And that's always going to have, you know, some internal conflict. It's it, she's always going to be at, at, at loggerheads in some capacity. Um, and that I think kind of makes for a little bit of a compelling character. You know, she's in certain ways, she's kind of like the best of the best. Um, you know, the, the scout master keeps telling Des, why can't you be more like your friend Kit? And, well, you know, Kit, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, and, and, you know, nobody except Kit's dad knows, um, you know, and so it's just, uh, it's, it's, she's a fun character um, to, to follow um, in certain ways. She definitely has a quality that I think a lot of my main characters share, which is just being super stubborn. Um, I think, I think that's, that's a quality that I always value. That's certainly something that has embodied my career as being stubborn. Um, but yeah, I think also just she's in certain ways, not quite for somebody who's grown up in the apocalypse. She's almost not as tough as some of my other characters. And I think it's because maybe it's, she has a degree of naivete where she sort of she has been she has been growing up thinking like I'm gonna be a Ranger Scout I'm gonna sort of fulfill you know what Doctor Hancock you know what his values were and when 
when she sort of gets cut off at the knees spiritually, she's going to spend a lot of time being like, what did I just see? Like, did I even see what I think I just saw? And then kind of figuring out like, oh man, I need to like confirm this. And then, you know, as she's sort of digging a little bit deeper into the society, she's going to realize like, oh, this place is a lot more dangerous than I thought when I'm not, when I'm not on the winning side. Um, and so she's really going to have to not just survive the wasteland, but she really kind of has to survive her own, her own brothers in arms. And um, so, yeah, she's really going to have to put every ounce of training to the test. And um, I think, uh, I think that's the only way she's going to survive, but I think the only way that she's really going to come out intact emotionally is she's really going to have to kind of reconcile these values that she still believes in with sort of what has gone on in the Ranger Scouts name. Um, And I think that's something, I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to. I think everybody has had a moment in their lives, whether it's religiously or politically, or even, you know, just the fabric of their own families where something that they believe to be true, something that was sort of so, uh, uh, such an embodiment of their personal fabric and they get the rug pulled out from under them. And it's very disorienting. Um, you know, uh, and where do you go from there? Um, I think that's sort of a, a question that we can all relate to, to some capacity. And I think that's, that's the human element behind sort of the post-apocalyptic Boy Scout cult fun action, that's really the heart that drives Scouts Honor. Um, And whether or not you can kind of find a happy ending out of all that. Well, right away, uh, I need all these badges so I can put them on a (laughs) shirt. So Yes. Um, Yeah, I believe we have 12 merit badges? 12 badges? Uh, 12 or 14. I don't remember the final count. Um, but yes, we have uh, we have some behind the scenes info on all of them that you'll get to read uh, in our first issue. And it comes out new January comic, 6th. Yes. New, the first new comic book day of uh, 2021. Yeah. And you can actually pre-order um, our first two issues now. Um, you can, uh, issue one, you can pre-order through, uh, next Monday. Uh, I believe that's December 14th. The pre-order code is, uh, NOV for November 200, uh, 994. And you can also pre-order our second issue. Uh, right now you can tell your local comic shop or you can tell them to add all five issues to your pull list. Uh, issue two's code is, uh, DEC for December, uh, 201133. You've got sticky notes on your computer, don't you? Yes, yes. I just <laughs> I just opened up my 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 Twitter feed to get those to get those numbers out. Um, but yeah, it's been you know it's been a really wonderful experience working with AfterShock. Um, like I said, it's been a long time coming. Um, you know, I've I've known Mike and, and Steve Rotterdam for uh, uh, over a decade. Um, Lee Kramer has probably gotten sick of me at conventions saying, "Hey, let me pitch you some more stuff." Um, Working with Christina Harrington, uh, uh, my other editor on this book, uh, she has been terrific. She's honestly been uh, one of the single best editors I've ever worked with. Uh, Christina really kind of um, championed this book uh, from the pitch stage on. 
and has been uh, just really wonderful to work with. Uh, she's really kind of, she's been the one who's really fine tuned a lot of elements to the book and uh, has really made it just a, a better uh, series uh, for her work on it. And um, working with people, you know, this has been a very different book also because for me, it's been, it's been an exercise in letting go a bit um, because most books that I've worked on in the past, I've been the editor. So I've had to kind of hand select every element of those books and that can be a little stressful. Scout's Honor in a lot of ways has just as much in common with um, with a big two environment as it does creator owned. And I, I, you know, I think that's, you know, having Mike and Christina who are both uh, uh, Marvel alums uh, working as editorial, that makes a lot of sense, but it was a big learning curve for me realizing that, Oh, I'm not the central editorial conduit anymore. Um, I'm so used to sort of, if I see something that I want to tweak in a thumbnail, for example, I got to I'll ping, I'll reach out to the guy directly and say, Hey, I, I, can we fix this? Um, instead I'm, I'm running notes through editorial and it's been a good lesson in sort of figuring out like what needs to get fixed for the sake of the story and what, what's a hill that I really don't need to tie on or what's a hill that we are running the clock on deadline. Is there a workaround for it? And, um, you know, even just the selection of my teammates, um, you know, I've never had, a creative team match made for me before, which has been a really fun experience. Um, Mike and Christina, uh, you know, found um, my artist and partner on this, uh, Luca Casalinguida, um, who ironically, I had actually reached out to years ago for another project and the schedules just didn't align. Um, Luca's terrific. Uh, I, I can't say enough great things about him. Um, he's got a style that um, it, it reminds me of Joe Kubert by way of jock. Um, very expressive, a lot of drama with a little bit of sharp edges underneath it all. Um, and the cool thing is that Luca portrays Kit, you know, very thoughtfully, you know, he really kind of the quiet moments is where he really, really excels, but then he shifts gears the moment that there's any action and suddenly you get a lot of shadow and you get a lot of mood and suddenly you remember Kit is badass. Like she is not the person you want to be at the wrong end of a dark alley with. And seeing her cut loose uh, during these big action sequences has been really fun to watch. Um, you know, or getting uh, colorist Matt Milla on board. Uh, you might know him from his work on Daredevil. Um, Christina was the one who brought Matt on board. And I remember being so thrilled because I was just like, Oh, we were allowed to get him. Um, you know, I'm I, like, he's, he's a big deal. And the way that he and Luca's work have interacted with each other has been a really cool kind of eclectic mix. Um, you never really forget that you're in a post-apocalyptic wasteland, um, that everything's a little radioactive. Um, and then uh, Carlos Manguel as our letterer who, um, he has done some really cool and interesting work in this series. I'm used to, I'm very old school and conservative when it comes to my lettering. Um, you know, you, you sort of hear the uh, good letterings invisible and Carlos has instead actually really added his own nice sense of texture to this book. And it's a way of sort of just reinforcing that kind of post-apocalyptic 
element of the series um, in one more capacity, one more dimension. And it's just been really cool to, to, to watch him work. Uh, and then we've got our cover. Uh, we're working with Andy Clark and colorist uh, Jose Villarubia on covers. And they are just terrific. I can't wait for um, issue two to finally go out in the wild. I, I, I should, I should ask my editors if I can show that off next week. Um, but the covers that Andy and Jose have been turning in have been just really gorgeous and pitch perfect and just really kind of shows. I think they really reinforce how logical this idea of a boy scout cult would be. I mean, it's kind of really, it's really tied to this concept of toxic masculinity, I think. And, you know, sort of, Uh-oh. We have been frozen. Here we go. We're going to see if uh, I can get uh, David back. Let's see. I got to take my glasses off to look at my keyboard. Sorry about this disruption. I don't know if you can see me okay so sorry about that my internet just cut out mid-sentence um you know I that feel was, that, your pain welcome that, back uh, <laughs> i had to take my glasses off to type uh no. you froze and dropped from the broadcast yeah by coming no. back in uh uh I, I i'm sorry about that um uh, but yeah i i um i uh i was on a roll and i uh i forgot what i was just saying because i just saw my internet just cut out um oh yeah yeah no uh the way that andy and Jose have really been able to kind of fit in design wise um, sort of this intersection between, you know, the, the, the boy scout paraphernalia and this kind of cult imagery, you know, this big statue of Dr. Jefferson Hancock with his two, his two tablets with the seven scout laws. And then, you know, sort of the, 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 the American, the tattered American flag waving in the background, it all really kind of fits together in a way that, might be almost a little uncomfortably prescient in a way. Um, because yeah, I think, I think the seeds for this boy scout cult exist today. You know, there's sort of, uh, this, this drive to, you know, um, this sort of hyper masculine drive, you know, you see it in our multimedia, you see it in our entertainment, you see it. in uh, you know, the way our, you know, we want our, our body image to go and gender roles to go. And, you know, I think 
there's you can that can turn toxic really fast. And then sort of when you take it over the course of hundreds of years with no real history, sense of history to correct that. And if anything, the only sense of history the Ranger Scouts have actively reinforces these tendencies. What's the correction to that? Or what happens when somebody is raised in this society and they're not really that image of the ideal that they're raised to believe in? It's still aspirational for them, but there's, in this case, in, in Kit's case, there's very clearly a divide. Um, and I think our creative team has done some really interesting stuff kind of approaching that from very different angles. Um, and so I think this book feels a lot more like a jam band than anything I've worked on before. Um, and I think it's it's been a really fun and um, exciting experience. Um, not unlike being on a roller coaster, you know, um, this is sort of, you know, it's my first book with Aftershock and, and hopefully not my last. And um, just working with this level of creative team, um, it's been really exciting. Well, another image that just came to mind when you said the tatted American flag would be an old episode of the original Star Trek mm -hmm. with the Combs and the Yanks where they were mispron mispronouncing every word in the uh, in the We the People document there. And yeah. Well, I, I just, I love this idea. When I was in college, or no, I was in high school, um, my history teacher had us read uh, Howard Zinn, uh, uh, People's History of the United States. And for me, it was really eye-opening. I was kind of like, oh, this is not any sort of history that I've ever been taught. Um, and yeah, just the idea of, you know, these sort of so-called historians, uh, you know, way out in the future, totally getting the modern day wrong. Um, that, that was interesting to me. I mean, there's a little bit of like a Lord of the Flies kind of element there, but also just, yeah, we, we instinctively try to make meaning out of the world. That's just how human beings are hardwired. That's why narrative is so important to us and continuity is so important to us. And yeah, the idea of that continuity getting disrupted, just getting completely severed. And it would have to take, um, you know, a cataclysmic event like a nuclear Holocaust. Um, but then seeing, you know, well, how do we construct meaning and narrative in the aftermath of that? You know, what do we attach ourselves to and what do we find meaning in? Um, and I think some of it also speaks to, you know, like I, I, I've been a fan of post-apocalyptic work, um, Mad Max, um, Fallout is kind of my, that's my sort of nerd um, obsession. Um, I love those games. I can't play them anymore. I love those games so much. I would literally get no work done if I continue to play Fallout. Um, you know, but even things like, Handmaid's Tale um, or uh, the Hunger Games, which kind of approach dystopias uh, from very different angles. Um, we kind of hit that Venn diagram nicely, I think. And I think a big, a, a, a big common trait in all of these is seeing how women have this strength about them. And that they're able to kind of, you know, even when they're in societies that naturally underestimate them, how 
they're able to really kind of shore up that inner strength and just get it done. Um, and I think that speaks to, you know, I grew up with kind of a trailblazing feminist mother. Um, you know, she really kind of, she broke a lot of boundaries in academia uh, in the seventies when she was growing up. Uh, didn't take my father's name, which is kind of like a, a big deal back then. Um, and so I think I've always been kind of raised with, um, you know, women being the deadliest of the species, <laughs> so to speak. Um, and, and so I think the idea of having, um, having, you know, uh, uh, female leads who can carry an, an, an action story on their backs, that never seemed counterintuitive to me. Um, if anything, I think that's something I kind of gravitate towards. Um, and I think luckily for me, I think pop culture has never particularly served women well in the action movie genre. Um, it's been very sporadic. You know, you can talk about Laurie Strode or Sarah Connor or uh, Sarah Ripley, but like, they're almost like the exceptions that prove the rule. And so um, it's been yeah, kind of the role named Sarah. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> and, and it's, and it's just been, it's just been, it's been, gratifying to be able to kind of operate in that narrative space a bit and you know just sort of you know dating back to my first books you know the conversations i had with my artists uh my artist uh jorge santiago jr it it, it made me realize like i always kind of ask myself like you know would this story would this story be have any unintentional negative stereotypes if we had a woman or a person of color uh, as a lead. And if not, why not, you know, why not go for it? And so I think having Kit and Des, um, as, 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 uh, a woman and, and, uh, a person of color as our leads, um, I think that's, it, it makes our book just a little bit more different. Um, and, in, in, in sort of the pop culture pantheon. And I think, you know, it's a baby step in the right direction, but I think every baby step counts. Now, I don't know the details on it, but I know Aftershock mm -hmm. uh, just announced uh, the end of last, like the middle of last month, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, a deal with uh, a... Uh, online retailer uh well a group of online retailers because it's it is it is kind of like the borg of online comic comic shops mm -hmm. and uh led by uh jen king out in texas and uh, i love jen she's she's wonderful and jesse james out in arizona the uh he's great too their their whole pantheon of of comic book online comic book stores so they've got a they aftershock uh announced an exclusive deal with with them yeah i mean it's it's uh i i don't have full confirmation yet on store exclusives i do know that um my buddy Mon House, who has done variant covers for all of my series, uh, Spencer and Locke, going to the chapel, the OZ. I know he is doing a store variant that I'm aware of. Um, I don't know 
what, if any, what others might be down the pipeline. Um, I do know that there is a, a really cool incentive cover as well by uh, Brett Schoonover. Um, I mm-hmm. don't, I don't know off the top of my head what the numbers are for those incentive covers. Um, but yeah, he's got a, a kind of a fun cover as well that really kind of homages an old school Boy Scout manual. Um, so yeah, it's just been, um, yeah, it, you know, it's a, uh, it's working with a nice group of, uh, of talented people to get some, some fun incentives in people's hands uh, alongside uh, the, uh, the, the merit badges that uh, we've been working on behind the scenes. Yeah, it, it was it was slipping my mind, but it's the uh, it's the comic book shopping network. Oh, nice! Yeah, um, uh, yeah, I've I've heard uh, great things about them, and yeah, Jen and Jesse are both just wonderful ambassadors for uh, for independent comic creators. Um, they have both been incredibly supportive of of my past work. Um, I believe I've got uh, a big shipment of uh, the OZ that I'm sending to Jen uh, next week. So yeah, they're just, you know, a terrific bunch of people. And I think it goes to show, um, you know, just like we've been talking about kind of dystopias uh, and, and apocalypses lately. I feel like that's something that the comics industry has kind of had to existentially tackle this year. And um, seeing retailers really kind of coming together not just to support indie creators although that is a huge important thing but also just kind of kind of uniting for their own fortunes and figuring out all right you know with foot traffic reduced with publishing schedules kind of in flux and up in the air and releases being kind of staggered out now over the next year and change uh, retailers finding unique avenues to connect with readers and to be able to kind of, uh, you know, really do the work of selling books. Um, I couldn't be more grateful as a creator for all their hard work. Um, you know, I feel like there are a lot of books in the stand, so I'm always grateful when a retailer kind of uh, uh, picks mine out. Um, you know, people like uh, like Mike Wellman uh, over at Atomic Basement uh, in Long Beach or Ryan Leibowitz at uh, Golden Apple Comics, uh, just to name a couple. Um, yeah, it's just seeing the retailers kind of thinking outside of the box. It's something we've all had to do in the comics industry. Um, you know, I think from press to uh, retailers to uh, to comic creators. And um, yeah, just, you know, seeing what the cool stuff that they've been doing with the, the, the comic shopping network. Um, yeah. It's been, it's been very inspiring and very heartening uh, for me as a creator for sure. Yeah. It, it threw me a bit when I was, when I was reading up on this and I'm like, Oh, scout honor isn't from. Yeah. Isn't from scout. Is I, it from scout. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's funny. And I, I, and I thought it was weird when I was first thinking that it was because I go, well, that's kind of cocky, <laughs> you know, letting them name a book after the publisher. And I'm like, I go, oh, no, it's not. You know, oh, I, it's Aftershock. Okay. I keep, I keep joking that maybe this is like the Pruitt brothers way of like pulling a prank on each other. Um, I'm, I'm friends with Charlie Stickney, uh, the co-publisher over at Scout. And so I, I told him when we announced this book, I told him that I promised I would pitch him a book called, uh, uh, Aftershock, um, uh, just to, to, to get back at them. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just been, uh, 
it's been fun. I, I, I think uh, this is definitely a bigger playing field than I'm used to operating on. Um, you know, all of my books previously have either been through, uh, through action lab or, um, or self-published via Kickstarter. And so um, it's been a really great learning experience for me as a creator, kind of taking that next step up to the next level. Um, and, you know, working with a place like aftershock, it's uh, yeah, I feel like it's been a great experience for me because now I know you can put me on the plate and I won't choke. Um, I, I, this book, not only did I write it during a very trying time in, you know, our history around us. I mean, I, I don't understand how a lot of people get creative work done in this. I mean, but the fact that also this was one of the fastest series that I've ever put together. Um, You know, I think we finished the script and the whole thing within a couple of months. Um, it was really just kind of off to the races because I said to myself, um, this is the first, you know, I don't want to let Mike Martz down. And so I am going to get this book out as fast as, as humanly possible while still making sure that it is, you know, up to the level of quality that I want my name attached to, but getting the book out in as, as timely a fashion to make sure that, I give Luca enough time to breathe and to make sure that if anything goes wrong on the scheduling, because of course it's comics, you know, people burn their lead times constantly, but that's not going to be because of me. And so, um, yeah, it's, you know, this is going to be an experience that I take with me for the rest of my career, because I know that at the end of the day, I can do the job. This is killed any last vestige of imposter syndrome I might have, because I know that if you put me in, 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 if you put me in play coach, I will get a book done. And um, I think, you know, it's a, it's a good lesson to learn uh, as, as an indie creator. So what's it like learning what a uh, deadline is again? You know, uh, thankfully, I feel like I, that part I never lost too much um, thanks to, uh, you know, I got my start as a newspaper reporter. So, like, that was always kind of baked into me. And then um, up until recently, I I, I, I think I, I wrapped up my tenure, my 12-year tenure at Newsarama. I, I wrapped up there, I believe it was in August. Um, and so that was really kind of baked into me. And one of the many reasons that I, I, I knew that this was time to kind of hang up my hat and ride off into the sunset was because of this book. Um, I had kind of successfully avoided conflict of interest for a while uh, because, you know, working at a place like action lab, we didn't really have a whole lot of overlap there. Um, you know, we weren't getting review copies from them. I wasn't regularly reviewing their work. Um, nobody at the site was regularly reviewing their work. So it was easy to kind of say, you know, not having a conflict of interest, but because of scouts honor and, and a few other projects that are sort of, will be announced hopefully in 2021 and beyond. Um, it was becoming very clear that I couldn't wear both hats for much longer. But uh, as a result, I've always been keenly aware of a deadline. Um, and if anything, um, maybe this is sort of my own anxiety as a creator. Um, when I, I take a long time developing something, but the moment that anybody else is attached to the project, I suddenly am like 
it, it becomes like a game of hot potato where I'm like, I got to get this thing out of my hands. Like I am, I'm like, okay, this thing has to get done. And so as a result, you know, usually it takes me a little while to kind of build up that momentum to have the pitch ready and to have the full outline and have the first issue script before I even start approaching an art team. But for scouts honor, it was sort of thrown into the deep end very quickly. Um, this is getting into the weeds a little bit, but different publishers want different things for your pitching. Um, you know, some people want a full creative team already assembled. They want, you know, anywhere from six pages to a full issue to a full mini series already done. Um, other places don't want a creative team attached. They want to kind of build that with you. And aftershock is one of those latter places. They, um, uh, and so I just sent them log lines at first, you know, scouts honor just, you know, was, was a two sentence pitch. And they're like, that's the one we like. And similar to my first book, Spencer and Locke, where somebody's like, yeah, let's pick that up. It's like, Oh crap. I got to write this book now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was, it wasn't until I wrote an outline over the course of the next few weeks that I was like, okay, this book is starting to shift a little and it's starting to really kind of uh, take its final structure. But even then, it wasn't until the book got picked up and approved that I realized that there were all sorts of things that I wanted to add into the mix that I hadn't even thought of in the initial outline. Um, the switchblades, for example, that we were talking about, that was a fairly late addition to the mix. Um, there's a, a little bit of a subplot that we've added in, uh, sort of what's the Ranger Scout's greater mission? Um, because they know instinctively, you know, there's survival, but how do you thrive? in the wasteland. And so there's a, there's a little bit of a, of a a backstory into what's, what's the long-term goals of the scouts here beyond just day-to-day survival. Um, And that really only got added in kind of at the 11th hour. Um, And it was sort of a thing that really kind of made the whole piece click together in my mind. Um, But I had already written um, a significant chunk of the series before I realized Oh, I got to add this thing back in issue two because uh, that's going to set up something that's going to pay off in issue five. Um, but yeah, it's definitely um, that's my neurosis as a creator is that the moment that anybody else is attached, whether it's an editor or a publisher or an art team, suddenly it's no longer like daydream mode. It's not blue sky anymore. Now it's okay. Somebody's counting on me. And so I need to get this thing in their hands, in their inbox and off my plate um, as fast as humanly possible. Otherwise my, um, my lifetime uh, supply of Jewish guilt will just crush me uh, from the inside out. Well, there's a phrase I have not heard in a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's, that's, I, I, I wake up and go to sleep with that phrase. So, uh, uh, yes, um, that is, that is, uh, that is part of who I am. That is part of how I live my life. Um, but you know, and, and I think in certain ways, uh, I think you, you might see it even a little bit in scouts honor. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I certainly, I certainly, uh, a year and a half ago when I first sent this log line to aftershock, I certainly didn't expect to write about a post-apocalyptic boy scout cult. I certainly didn't expect to kind of in, imprint my own kind of religious awakening uh, and spiritual journey onto it. And I certainly didn't expect to feel inspired by it. Um, and yet here we are. Um, 
And I think that's something that's, I think that's a common thread through a lot of my work, uh, which I think often veers towards the darker side, at least in terms of high concept and tone. Um, it's like that line in, in the dark night, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn. Um, and I feel like when you have these sort of darker starting points, whether it's, uh, you know, just in terms of a concept or if it's even more tonally, like some of my other work, um, that makes that sort of redemptive arc shine that much brighter. Um, I feel like it's not, it's not where you start that's most important in a story. It's the journey and where you wind up. And I, I, I think that redemptive core is something that I, I have in a lot of my work. And um, I think Scout's Honor, in a lot of ways, despite being a post-apocalyptic book, I think it's probably the most hopeful thing I've ever written. Um, and so I'm excited for readers to get to meet Kit and Des and Scoutmaster Shepard and really kind of get to explore the Colorado Badlands through the eyes of the Ranger Scouts. See, a couple of things you said were uh, kind of like opposites for me. Uh-huh. Um, not the book-wise, but sure. your your news ram up um, yeah. when you were doing – you know, I was doing reviews. I was the reviews editor for yeah, uh, you, for over and, a decade. And, and you were doing, you know, your books at Action Lab. Yep. You're like, well, we never got review copies here. I go, and I'm thinking in the back of my head, I go, well, we got review copies here at <laughs> Right Geekery. But you know who we don't get review copies from? Oh. Aftershock. <laughs> All right. We'll 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 make sure we get you a copy uh uh when 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 the book hits because we will we will take every review we can get um you know it, it, you know just as well as anybody it's it's always a fight to kind of get the word out on indie books mm-hmm. um you know and i feel like for for anybody who's ever been a fan of my work you know supporting scouts honor it's really important um you know this is like i've said this is sort of the next step in my career and um you know, I've had a great time working with Aftershock and I, I think they've liked working with me too. Um, but, you know, it, it never hurts to kind of have that um, that support shown uh, just by sheer numbers. Um, but at the same time, you know, this is probably the worst thing to say while promoting a book. The thing is for me, numbers has always been secondary. It's always been, um, what's a book that I can go to sleep at night knowing my name's on? And that's something that's really kind of guided every book that I've worked on. Um, sometimes that means I put myself through, through the ringer uh, when uh, other creators might not. Um, but I think the end product always speaks for itself. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, ultimately we just want to get the word out about this book. And um, I, I feel like this team has really been killing themselves to put out a really stellar uh, piece of work. And so, uh, yeah, so that's, you know, Anybody who's been a fan of my work, uh, you know, we really invite you to call your comic shop and pre-order it, but also just give us a shot, check it out. I, I think you'll find a lot to love. Uh, I also, while we were talking, pulled up the PR from uh, CBSN and an aftershock mm-hmm. to find to because it it turns out it was October 29th when this hit. Oh, nice. So uh, your book uh, should definitely be part of this. Uh, and as I uh, 
read through some old PR because uh, back on October 29th, this was breaking news from uh, Aftershock in CBSN, the comic book shopping network, which I am not only a fan of, I am a customer of. And I, for one, can tell you uh, the what they do is they have multiple stores that are brought into the comic sh book shopping network that change their entire way of doing business mm -hmm. where they're on line having live sales daily, like every single one of these shops they're, That's you know, they're online like at least five days a week doing, yep. doing online sales and they have to conform to rules to, to be in the comic book shopping network. But uh, CBSN and the aforementioned Aftershock Comics uh, have have partnered up unprecedented access to beautiful exclusive covers for upcoming projects, uh, including the future mega hit uh, Kaiju score yes. that, uh, that just came out that's doing exceptionally well. And there were a few stores that sadly got damaged copies but i understand that 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 title from aftershock is uh well already into a second print so obviously it's doing it's doing quite well um with cbsn uh they are getting easy access to information ab about aftershock and uh what's coming up in the future and advertising and exclusive back you know access to easy access to back issues and it's it's the first big online retailer push i believe uh with aftershock outside of you know just being a regular you know independent publisher in uh in the previews catalog so this is a this is a big move so it it looks like there will be an exclusive uh of your book because this was announced Ooh. back back in october so i'm sure you know going forward they will have an exclusive of uh that's good to know <laughs> a, little, uh, a little kit and caboodle there shall yeah we say. well it's it's uh yeah i mean honestly like this book it really it, it has taken a village to put together um this is this is not the kind of book or the kind of scale that I think I'd be able to put together on my own, and so um, yeah, I've been just really grateful to uh, all the hard work that Aftershock has done in uh, putting this book together, um, and and all the support that we've gotten from our retailers um, who have uh, been so kind as to uh, uh, give give a shot to this crazy book um, because uh, yeah, I think it's. Uh, it's very different than anything else that's out there. Uh, but I think that's part of its charm. Uh, and yeah, and I can tell you, you know, especially uh, people who have who have uh, picked up my Kickstarter book, the OZ. Um, I think the OZ and Scott's Honor, it, they really are kind of a nice shot and chaser uh, to one another. Um, I, I do think of them as sister titles in a lot of ways. And so, um, uh, you know, if you like one, you'll definitely love the other and uh, and vice versa, I think. I, I shot you the, the link for the little PR thing from oh, nice. Geekery to your Twitter, Twitter, Twitter page. Perfect. I, uh, I'm going to read that over right now. Um, yeah, but, uh, 
yeah, it's just been a, it's been, it's been a wild ride, um, you know, since this book was announced. I'm actually, uh, let's see when they actually announced Scouts Honor. I'm looking it up now. So yeah, they announced it uh, end of September, um, and you know, it's wild as a creator. Um, so much of it is kind of like time travel. Uh, you know, you, you you think of a concept and then you write it out and then you spend the better part of a year, uh, you know, waiting for the art to come in and, you know, eventually you announce it. And, uh, and then it, later after that, it goes into pre-orders and then later after that, it hits comic shops. And so it's been a really kind of a wild, sometimes discombobulating journey. Um because yeah, it's like you know, I I have emails with Lee Kramer dating back years, uh, getting to this point, and I think that's a thing that a lot. I know I certainly got this wrong a lot as a journalist, and it's something that only as a creator that I've really kind of come to appreciate is the comics industry. Time works funny here. It's very it's hurry up or it's, it's not hurry up and wait, it's wait and then hurry up. Um, you know, it's, it, it's sometimes it takes a really long time for something to come out, but then by the time that people are reading it, um, the train's on the tracks, there's no changing any of it. Um, or if there is any opportunity to change, it's very minimal and it's, it's, it's not an issue one to issue two change. It's an issue one to issue five change maybe. Um, but yeah, I think it's just been a, it's always an interesting way. It's always interesting to try to market and, and publicize your work. And there is certainly a degree of a sort of time dilation uh, when it comes to uh, the production and then announcement and then actual uh, marketing uh, of a book for sure. And I wanted to uh, touch because the last time you were on, we were talking about the OZ. Yep. So, uh, Tell us how, because I, I know you're doing fulfillment now. Yeah. Um, and, it, and, and as talking during during the, the, little, the little pre-show thing, uh, we know that you're not just trying to hurry up and get these books out to everybody that supported you for the OZ, yeah. but you're trying to hurry up and getting packed out and sent out before, yes. your, before your new puppy arrives. Yes, yes. Uh, our, our family's growing tomorrow. Um, we will be... Uh, 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 adding the pitter patter of little puppy feet to our apartment on uh, the same week that all of, uh, all of my Kickstarter books arrived, all thousand pounds of them. Um, so yes, uh, we've been hard at work um, uh, uh, bagging and boarding, uh, packing, labeling, and shipping um, uh, as of this afternoon, as of this evening, I should say, um, all 2,700 items uh, that we will be shipping to our backers have been bagged and boarded and sorted. Um, so now um, tomorrow I'm picking up a dog, so I'm not doing any packing. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to make sure that my apartment stays standing. But um, after that, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's it'll be sorting everybody's individual orders. It'll be uh, putting them in our Gemini mailers. And in uh, certain cases, our uh, priority mail uh, envelopes and or boxes. And then just uh, printing out all of our shipping labels and dropping them off at the post office. So, yeah, we should probably, uh, we'll probably be starting our our, uh, our initial shipping. Um, hopefully, uh, uh, it'll start sometime this week, uh, this coming week. Um, and, yeah, you know, it's it's fun. It's crazy. 
um, you know, being a comics creator, life is always a little bit of chaos. Um, you know, and I think, uh, uh, being, a, a, a professional dog dad, um, uh, that's always a little bit of chaos in the mix as well. Um, it feels fitting in a way. Um, this pandemic for me really started with my dog passing away. Um, and, uh, it kind of feels like turning the corner, uh, uh, getting a new puppy. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's it's a great capstone uh, to the OZ's first Kickstarter campaign. Um, I've been so excited by the initial response uh, to our book. We we've already shipped out all all of our digital rewards. So anybody who has backed the campaign who is itching to know what the story is, they can read it now. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just been um, it's been a, a wonderful experience. I I I've said I am committed to fulfilling the entirety of the OZ on Kickstarter. Um, you know, if we end up making any deals with any interested publishers down the line, that's going to be secondary. Um, although no deals have, uh, are currently in, in the works, um, because the Kickstarter community has been really amazing. Um, they took an idea that a lot of publishers showed interest in, but couldn't kind of get the let out to actually come to terms with, um, they backed it wholeheartedly. And I think this is some of this is some of my best work. I think uh, artist Ruben Rojas uh, uh, is just an incredible collaborator and partner and co-creator on this book. Um, I've told him I will work with him until the wheels come off. Um, he is just that incredible. He's I've been fortunate, you know. Th- I get to work with a lot of one in a million artists and I feel very fortunate that I'm able to find people like Ruben or Jorge Santiago jr. Or Luca Casalinguida. Um, and, uh, yeah, Ruben's hard at work, uh, on the next installment. Now, um, he has sent me, um, some pages already for our next chapter that look amazing. Uh, while he's kind of wrapping up, uh, the last of the commission work, um, that he was so uh, that he so graciously offered to do for our campaign, and um, yeah, you know the whole series is written. So um, you know, thankfully that's kind of a, a, a load off my shoulders. I get to just kind of watch the cool art come in. Um, but yeah, I uh, I'm just excited to get these books out of my apartment. <laughs> um, you know, I think I I uh, we had something like 36 boxes come in via shipping pallet. Um, and so, yeah, the vast majority of them now are in uh, bags and boards. We've saved a few for um, future Kickstarters down the road. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, you know, the, the, the hard work is over of the creation. Now it's just really kind of nose to grindstone, brute force, packing and shipping and packing and shipping and packing and shipping. And um, yeah, so my life is uh, uh, Kickstarter books in one room and puppy in another and my bed in another. Um, and that's just going to be my life uh, for the next few weeks. But uh, and, that's uh, you know, it's a pretty good and life. A and a pallet out in the garage. Yeah, a pallet out in the garage. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, a uh, uh, pretty, 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 pretty nice life. I, I, I got no complaints. Um, and yeah, you know, a few other projects that are, you know, coming together. Um, uh, my uh, upcoming sci-fi book, Grand Theft Astro. Uh, we've uh, got Pedal of Metal uh, on that. Uh, artist Jordi Perez is uh, 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 in high gear uh, working on our second issue now. 
Um, so he's he's really kind of revving up. Um, uh, I've got a, a, a superhero one shot uh, called Roxy Rewind that I'm working on with uh, uh, my Spencer and Locke partner in crime, Jorge Santiago Jr. Uh, it's about a teenage superhero who happens to be uh, the child of a drive through waitress from the 1950s and a time traveling scientist from the year 2200. They have raised her in our present uh, to split the difference and she can uh, manipulate time up to 60 seconds. So what happens when a bad guy from outside of the time stream tries to take over her father's lab? Well, a new superhero for the ages arrives. So um, that's a really exciting book that uh, we will have that as part of the uh, big hype anthology that I believe will be on Kickstarter early 2021. Um, but yeah, we just wrapped up the artwork on that this morning. So that's very exciting. And um, yeah, just a, a, you know, a few other scripts that I will be uh, hunkering down on um, uh, once we get this puppy potty trained. Uh, that's that's really just my next creator own project at this point is making and, sure my... uh, a superhero book is a little outside the norm for you. Yeah, uh, I, you know, and I love superheroes. Um, my my thinking was, though, in a world where Marvel and DC and Valiant exist, um, I never wanted to do a superhero concept unless I had a good twist on it. And I think Roxy, Roxy is a character that actually predates Spencer and Locke. Um, this is a concept that I've had for a very long time in the works. Um, I actually wrote it as a, as a cartoon pilot uh, back before I really committed to the idea of maybe I should write comics. Um, it's a character that I've wanted to play with for a long time. And I've never really found the opportunity um, until uh, I was invited by the big hype anthology to do uh, a 20 page story. And so uh i i knew that jorge santiago jr was the man for the job um he is never i've never thrown him a challenge that he's backed away from he is just um a real artist artist and a true uh wonderful collaborator and this was kind of a nice way to to really kind of marry our two artistic styles um i grew up with superheroes that's sort of the my the language i speak he grew up with uh with manga and that's sort of his go-to and we were kind of really able to uh combine these influences in a way that is is really fun it's really different tonally than anything that i've worked on in the past it's certainly more lighthearted. it's definitely um our my love letter to you know classic spider-man to uh time travel sci-fi like back to the future um you know, uh, all ages animation, like Kim possible. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a fun series that I think in a lot of ways, it's the next step of that immigrant story that we see going all the way back to the beginning with Clark Kent. Um, Juniper Wells, uh, is Roxy Rewind's civilian alter ego. And she's sort of this first generation child of two immigrants. And her parents are not just not from around here geographically, but they're not from around here temporally. Um, they're from two totally different eras. And so you kind of get this sense of they're kind of figuring out their, 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 their path in the uh, 21st century. And Juniper as their child, as a, as, as an awkward teenage high schooler she really kind of has to find herself and her path and how does she kind of navigate the world in a way that honors both of her parents heritage 
but also kind of speaks to who she is as a person in her interests. And so the idea of having a sci-fi roller derby drive through waitress kind of mashup superhero, um, that's really fun. And I think uh, that really kind of speaks, that gives Juniper uh, a real nice dimensionality as a character and um, really makes her somebody that you want to root for. So um, it's been a blast working with uh, Jorge on this and uh, we're working with letterer Jim Campbell. Uh, this is going to be, uh, this is going to be a black and white story uh, uh, in this anthology. This anthology is black and white. Um, but, you know, never say never about doing a color remaster down the road. Um, I know uh, Jason Smith is always a, a wonderful collaborator on Jorge's line work. Um, so uh, yeah, you know, who knows, maybe down the line uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to see uh, Roxy in living color as well. It sounds interesting. Uh, Ryan Pond is uh, has joined us in the chat, saying that sounds cool. Well, thank you, uh, Ryan. I appreciate that. It's been it's it, th- this idea, like all of my favorite ideas, um, are uh, it's been a long time coming. Um, and you know, this all goes back to sort of the time dilation of comics uh, pitching. It's it's so much worse. Um, I have ideas. I have ideas that uh, you're not going to see probably for another five years. Um, It's just, that's how long it takes to pitch it and get the right art team and get the publisher attached and get the thing done and then get it in previews and then get it in the stores and get it in your hands. Um, You know, I've got a laundry list of stuff that I want to work on and every book that I do, I cross things off my bucket list, but I seem to always add more things than I've crossed off. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's a fun way to live your life. Um, you know, it, it certainly makes every project different. And I think that kind of keeps me from feeling stale or getting bored as a creator. And I think being able to kind of keep shifting gears, you know, for example, from a post-apocalyptic boy scout cult to a teenage time travel superhero, um, that kind of keeps me limber as a creator. And I think that always, lets me rise to the challenge of bringing my best work or even better yet uh, a, a brand new puppy in the middle of a kickstarter fulfillment that's right that's right uh uh yes plan on plan on seeing plenty of photos uh in my social media uh, uh on the drive back uh for sure um let's see i like that you have, have an idea that you marinated on superhero stuff needs to be worked through for some time to get right in the modern marketplace absolutely um you know i mean you know, and maybe this speaks to my spiritual side a little bit, but um, I feel like sometimes things are not meant to happen until they happen. You know, um, I know that's a little Zen, um, but I, I've said for a long time, my only regret in my career is that I didn't start sooner. Uh, but at the same time, Spencer and Locke was the book that I was meant to start my career on. And there is no way that I was fully baked as a person enough to make that book until I did. I could not have made that book a, a, a year earlier, you know? Um, and I think that's the case for a lot of books. I think the OZ, for example, wouldn't have worked coming right on the heels of Spencer and Locke. You know, I needed to have uh, Spencer and Locke too and going to the chapel and, you know, the announcement of Grand Theft Astro, I needed to have more stuff in the pipeline to show that I'm not just a one-trick pony, that I'm not just the guy that's going to do 
dark parodies of childhood classics. Although I do love doing them. Um, you know, uh, I've got other concepts that I, I would not have been able to tackle before now, you know? Um, and even, you know, I'm working on Spencer and Locke three, and I'm so glad that I did not go straight from volume two to volume three, because I feel like I've grown so much as a creator, uh, since that second volume that, you know, I've written, I think, um, I think I've written five books since then. And so I know as I'm working on volume three and I'm kind of chiseling away at it, that this feels a lot, this work feels even stronger as a result. And so, yeah, I think it, I think it ultimately comes down to, yeah, like you say, you know, things happen when they happen for a reason and exactly, you're exactly right. Luck is the crossroads between preparedness and timing. I mean, you just, you take, you keep taking swings and you don't really know what will connect when, but if you just keep taking the swings, that is, that's really the important thing I think as a creator. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll always keep swinging. Um, and, uh, and, uh, so far it's, uh, it's, it's served me well. Well, definitely, because, you know, and Spencer and Locke fans should be excited now that they know that there's a third volume coming yes. in the future. And- Garfield versus Peanuts for volume three. So that'll be that'll be that'll be a fun one. Just a lot of research going into it. Um, I'm not just rereading all of Bill Watterson like I did for the past two volumes, but I am also reading uh, uh, all of Peanuts and Garfield, which is a lot. So, um, but it is coming. Uh, we are working on it. Um, uh, it will happen. I promise. So, uh, lots of lasagna versus missed field goal kicks. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's, there's a lot of, uh, of imagery to fit in there and, and to fit in a coherent fashion. Um, it's, it's a lot, but, um, I, I, I feel confident that we'll be able to pull it all off. So there's, there's always a lot of stuff in the pipeline and, you, of course, as a creator, are yeah. the, the biggest, uh, you know, consumer of your work, and sure. you like to uh, perfect it in your eyes, and which is never an easy feat. No, you never. Know, ask ask any artist, uh, music wise. Ask any guitar player. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, and you know, there's, there's, there's other things that are, uh, coming out. Um, I'm working on a short with, um, uh, my pal Mon house, um, who's done variants, uh, on all of my series. Um, I have promised him for years that I would find uh, a project to do, to do interior art sequentials with him. And, um, so, uh, we're working on a, um, kind of a, a, a horror infused action uh, story for a, for an upcoming anthology uh, that I think will be uh, announced sometime next year. Um, and then, yeah, just working on a few scripts, you know, Spencer and Locke three um, I'm working on my first horror series. Um, I, uh, I was hoping to have the first issue written uh, before the puppy arrived that uh, did not happen. Um, uh, so I'm hoping I will have that ready uh, hopefully by end of the year. Um, uh, another horror pitch that, uh, I'm just sort of starting to, to develop. I wrote it as a short, but, um, 
I realized after the fact that it would be a much cooler mini series. So I'm just sort of expanding that and, and, uh, I have a couple art, uh, art friends who I want to reach out to about that. Um, that's the thing about comics is that, you know, um, you may have stuff coming out in any particular moment, but this is all stuff that's been in the pipeline for months, if not years. And so you're already working on stuff that's going to come out a year or two from now. And, um, that's cool. Uh, you know, and, and when you start adding Kickstarter into the mix where you don't have to find the publisher and you don't have to, uh, you can really just kind of release it whenever you feel ready. Um, it's a lot of balls in the air, but, uh, it sure beats, uh, having an honest job. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've worked plenty of office jobs and, uh, 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 done poorly enough in enough office jobs that, uh, I, the comics industry is not getting rid of me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for the future. And I feel like at the beginning of scouts honor, um, you know, the whole world felt like a scary place and the future felt very uncertain. And now it feels like we're turning a corner. Um, and maybe that's just me getting a puppy talking. Um, but I feel genuinely hopeful and genuinely excited for the future. And I think that's what we ultimately should be feeling. And maybe that's the energy that I was worried about putting out with scouts honor is, you know, that's what dystopia is. That's what post-apocalyptic stories are at their core is it's fear of the future. And I think by the time you finish this series, you'll realize the future is not something to be scared of. It's something to be embraced. And uh, I'm excited to embrace that. And I'm excited to see what comes next. Uh, So from various things you've said, it makes me wonder if you're going to be running for political office so you two can go <laughs> eat at a restaurant sometime this year. Uh, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll leave to the, the, the politics to the professionals. Um, you know, for me, it's all if about... You can call them that. Yeah. For <laughs> me, it, you know, uh, I, I like telling stories. I like telling stories that, um, you know, that, that speak to me, that, that speak to my partner. She's my first reader. And, uh, you know, I, uh, if she's happy with it, I'm, I'm happy with it. Um, and beyond that, it's just kind of, you know, just having fun with it. Um, trying to take different twists on stuff that I, I, I haven't seen before, or if I see storytelling tricks that I, I like, um, trying to figure out how I can put my own spin on it. Um, I've got, uh, you know, I've got an idea for a groundhog day kind of pitch that I think is kind of unique and kind of cool. And, and that's sort of on my to-do list for 2021. Um, you know, um, when we're done here, I'm going to watch that uh, new Vince Vaughn movie, uh, Freaky, um, because now I'm like super jealous of that concept. And I'm kind of like, ooh, what could, what could, what kind of twist on a Freaky Friday could I do that would like be cool and unique and make sense? Um, but yeah, I just, you know, I, I, I want to be as responsible as I can as a creator. Um, you know, I, I, I think maybe that's as, as far as I take it, as, as far as my politics go, is that I want to make sure that I'm considerate and empathetic um, to my readers and to see, you know, I know I cannot speak authentically to, um, to uh, you know, uh, uh, either a, a minority or a woman or a, a person of the LGBTQ community. I can't, I cannot speak authentically to their life experiences, but what I can do is to try to kind of like, 
invite people to the table and, uh, you know, sort of expand representation in my own work. Um, I think that is the least I can do. It's very low impact for me as a creator. Um, and beyond that, I think, you know, look, the comics industry, we don't have enough people to turn people away. The whole goal for me is how can I invite more people to the table? And how can I sort of bring that direct market diaspora with the Kickstarter diaspora, with the people who buy things digitally, um, and the people who, you know, God willing, will be able to go back to cons sometime, hopefully when it's safe. Um, bringing sort of those disparate readerships together at the same table and inviting them to break bread together, that's everybody's responsibility. Everybody needs to do that to the best of their abilities, to whatever capacity they can. Um, you know, the, the advantage that I have is, you know, as a creator, I, I get to really have a lot of fun doing it. And, um, you know, books like Scout's Honor, you know, um, you wouldn't think a post-apocalyptic Boy Scout book could also be a book about feminism and toxic masculinity and religion. And yet it is. Um, and uh, that's been kind of a, sometimes you don't even know the themes until you've written it. Um, but that's kind of the fun part about being a creator, I think. And, um, and so I appreciate everybody who's, you know, listening to this, uh, uh, interview and all the retailers who've supported the book and all the fans who have come up and supported my work. Um, it really takes a village, uh, to, to have any sort of success in this industry. And I, I, I couldn't be more grateful to every single person who's helped me get where I am today. And Scout's Honor comes out the be very beginning, first new comic book day of 2021. Yes. January 6th. So call and, your local uh, comic shop. And, uh, you know, just just to throw it out there, because, you know, this has been a hell of a sucky year. Um, unless you're a comic book fan, then it's been great because there's been tons of good stuff to read. Uh, and uh, very soon, uh, many people will be reading The Oz. Yep. The OZ, yes. And, uh, but it, I, I thought it was funny that you've got a post-apocalyptic book coming out the first week of 2021, <laughs> which is the same year that the original Mad Max uh, starts. That's right. That's right. I hadn't even thought about that. Uh, oh, it's so gonna be over. Yeah. Wait till you see what's around the corner. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, you know, fingers crossed. I, I, uh, I feel like. I was I was nervous getting into this book, um, and I you know I think if you had asked me at the beginning of this year if I would have wanted to do a post apocalyptic book, I probably would have been like I don't know. Um, but that's the thing is you know sometimes sometimes circumstances happen to you, and you have to kind of choose how you face it. And um, I'm really glad that I did. I'm glad that I I wrote this book um, because I came into it feeling a lot of trepidation and I came out of it feeling really optimistic. And, um, I, I, I hope the readers feel the same way. Um, well, sometimes you don't find the work, the work finds you. Exactly. Um, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, I promise. And until then, uh, we all got to stick together. And, uh, if a little bit of, uh, post-apocalyptic action, uh, is what's going to get you, uh, 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 to the finish line, then, uh, Hope you enjoy uh, Scout's Honor. Tell your local comic shop to add all five issues to your uh, pull list. Oh yeah, uh, why don't you throw those uh, those codes out there again for yeah free orders? So, 
uh, issue one, uh, pre-order code, uh, you can order it, pre-order it through December 14th, uh, uh, that Monday. It's uh, NOV for November, 200-994. And uh, you can also pre-order issue two now. Uh, the code for that is DEC for December, uh, 201133. Uh, that's DEC 201133. Well, I want to thank you for for joining us tonight and uh, talking all things cop comics and 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 puppy and you know stuff like that because puppies are always awesome. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, anybody who wants to follow me on Twitter and Instagram, it's right here, Peppos D. You can also follow David Peppos Comics on Facebook or subscribe to my newsletter, Pep Talks at bit.ly slash pep news. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us again. We will look forward to. Uh, this and all the merit badges that I can get to come with them. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks. Have a great night, everybody. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs>